Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. wanted to be like Mike. I was 11 years old when that video, when that commercial came out in 1991. So that was a few years ago, wasn't it? But I was, it was so long ago. Did you notice Gatorade was in glass bottles, man? (laughs) Now that's old right there, all right? But man, it captured my heart. It captured the heart of countless people. I wanted to shoot like him, dribble like him. He didn't pass a whole lot back then, but, I, <laughs> but, I, but when he passed, I wanted to pass like him. I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to shave my head like him and wear that, that wristband on my forearm and the knee brace on my calf muscle. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I wanted to wear those Air Jordan shoes and stick my tongue out. I mean, Jordan was so good. He was so cool. And I worked hard. I worked hard to be like Mike. I remember spending hours and hours and hours out there uh, in my dirt, on my dirt basketball court. Y'all, any of y'all have a dirt basketball court? Absolutely. That's what mine was, just on the back of a, of a barn. That's where mom and dad had me one minute. I'd go out there. I'd be covered in dust from head to toe when I was finished. But I wanted so badly to be good. And I'd spend hours in the gym shooting and playing defense and dribbling, all in the hopes of one day that I would be as good as Michael Air Jordan. And maybe you have a hero in your own life that you have tried to be like, that you wanted to be like. But as we turn to our text here, we see a higher calling, right? It's one thing to be like the hero that you have here on earth, the person who has made an impact in your life. But in our text today, guys, we have a higher calling, someone much higher to imitate than Michael Jordan, and so much better as well to be like this person. You see it here in verse 14 of our text, Philippians 3, 14. Where Paul writes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There it is. That upward call. That's that higher calling. Not be like Mike, be like Christ. I want to be, I want to be like Christ. (laughs) That's what Paul means when he says, I press on. Because you need to understand this morning that being like Christ that doesn't come without some effort. You've got to put some effort into it. You've got to try. You've got to work. You must strive, as he uses the word here, to be like 
Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Our passage comes from Philippians chapter 3 in the 12th verse, reading down through the 16th verse. And let me remind you, what we hold in our hands here and what we see on our screen is the perfect Word of God is without error. Every word that is in Scripture from cover to cover is true. You can believe on it. You should believe it. And you should do what it says when you rightly understood what it says for you to do. This is the Word of God. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature Think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let this or let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray to God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we have opened your word and we've read it this morning. But God, we don't want to just hear your word, we want to hear your word explained. And we want to hear it explained that we would then be able to go and live in light of what we've heard today. And so your word is meant to be lived. And so help us to do that. If there's anybody under the sound of my voice today who has not yet repented and trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord, then we pray today that through the preaching of your word and the witness of this gathered body of believers here today, that they would trust Christ, turn to Jesus, and be saved. We ask you to move in our midst in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. Grab your seat. Today's takeaway is this. Today's takeaway is to passionately pursue the prize of being perfectly conformed to the perfect Savior. That's a lot of P's, man. You know how it is with preachers. Sometimes they get on a roll. I got on a roll with this one, okay? Passionately pursue the prize of being perfectly conformed to the perfect Savior. That is our takeaway. That's what you and I are to do with this message as we walk away today. I want to share three truths with you this morning from our text, and then I want to point you to three ways that that will help you, four actions that will help you to passionately pursue the prize of being perfectly conformed to our perfect Savior. The first truth is this, (laughs) you will never be perfect this side of heaven. Amen? Now listen, let me say up front that one day in Christ you will be That's the hope that we have in Jesus. One day, indeed, you will be made perfectly perfect. One day, according to Scripture, you will be morally, emotionally, mentally, volitionally conformed to Jesus. But when will that be? That will not be until you reach heaven or Jesus Christ returns. It will not happen before then. You will never be perfect this side of heaven. I mean, if anybody could be, wouldn't it be the Apostle Paul? As you think about the strongest Christians you've known in your life, the Apostle Paul probably stands above them all, right? And so he was the man who seemed to be so on fire for God and close to God, but he says here, right off the bat, verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or am already perfect. Uh, He's not already obtained this 
he says, and what is the this that Paul is talking about here that he has not obtained yet? And I believe the this in the text is what we looked at a couple weeks ago. Just a few verses earlier there, in beginning in the seventh verse. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 11, because Paul here in that passage makes some of the most triumphant, realized comments about himself, right? These, these statements, these claims, lofty claims about himself. Look at it with me, verse 7 through 11, Philippians 3, 7 through 11. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. As you read that and hear that, do you hear those triumphant statements like, man, we've had victory, it's done, the battle's over, <laughs> right? He says things like, whatever I counted as gain, I don't even care about that stuff anymore, right? He, he wanted Jesus more than anything else in the world he seems to paint. Everything in his eyes is worthless compared to Jesus. He's so zealous for God as he's proclaiming this that he's, he says he's willing to do anything, to better know Jesus and to experience Jesus. Those are some of the most triumphant statements a person could make, right? And it could be easily misconstrued that maybe Paul no longer had any struggles. You ever wondered about that? I mean, did the apostle Paul have any struggles? Because when it seems when he teaches and when he preaches, it seems like he has no troubles that this internal battle that you and I face it seems like in Paul, it's over, it's gone, that he is basically experiencing heaven on earth. But Paul wants to, he wants to be clear with you and me at verse 12, that I have not arrived yet. I've not obtained this yet. I'm not already perfect. In other words, there's a gap. You know what I'm talking about? There's this gap between what I aspire to be and what I am. Can I get a witness? <laughs> right? There's this gap that you and I live in. The Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that he understood that he's no different from us. He lives in this tension, in this gap. In fact, he testified to this gap between what he aspires to be and what he is. In Romans 7, 15 through 20, it's a passage that you're probably very familiar with. But I want to read it because you and I need to hear this sort of thing. That we might be encouraged. I mean, if the Apostle Paul hadn't arrived yet, then we might be in good company here. We might be able to make it yet. He says this, Romans 7, 15 through 20. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. <laughs> you ever been there? Why in the world am I doing this? For I do not, for I do not do what I want. In other words, I don't do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. Notice the gap here. 
but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's living in that gap between the already and not yet. And that's the gap that you and I find ourselves in. We're not perfect yet. God's promised it. It's coming. But you and I live in that gap with him. In fact, as a preacher, I may feel this gap maybe more than any of you because it's one of the paradoxes of the preacher. I and other preachers like me, man, we have to stand up here and we have to preach God's perfect word and point people to God's perfect savior and try to explain to you how to live a life that pleases God. But at the same time, I've got to be preached to as well, right? At the same time, in other words, preachers live in the gap also between perfection and reality, between what I aspire to be and what I actually am. So the truth of the matter is, is that none of us will be perfect this side of heaven. If you walked in here this morning with a theology of perfectionism, that one day on this earth you would be completely sinless and completely done away and arrived, then I ask you to check your theology at the Bible here and throw it out and recognize that you will not be perfect this side of heaven. Which brings me to the second truth that you need to understand this morning is that although you will not be perfect this side of heaven, yet you are called to perfect Christ-likeness on earth. You probably feel that tension in your life, right? There's that gap. You'll never be perfect like Christ on earth in this age, yet you are called and I am called to perfect Christ-likeness on earth. Now that perfect Christ-likeness, again, is that upward call that Paul is talking about here, this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're called to go up, man, to grow up, to, to reach up toward godliness, to reach up toward Christ-likeness. And God has made it very clear to you and me in his word that we are to be holy. You see, that's another word. That's, a, that's just a different word from Christ-likeness, right? To be Christ-like is to be holy. To be holy is to be sanctified. All these words are just the same word for what we're talking about here when we think about Christ-likeness, right? We are called to be holy. We are called to put away sin in our lives. We are called to live a life that pleases God at all times. In fact, God emphatically calls us to that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 through 16, he says, As an obedient or as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it's written. You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's God. So let me just put in there the word God. You shall be holy, for God is holy. You know, the truth of the matter is that every one of us in this room, we relate well to that first point. Right? Maybe you would amen all day when I said, you will not be perfect this side of heaven. And you would gladly say, amen, preacher, preach it. <laughs> preach it, preacher. Right? But if we're not careful... We will use the, that, that truth to become complacent. We'll be tempted to stop trying like, man, I'll never be like Christ. So why even try? 
I'll just let go and let God. I'll just kick my feet back and rest in the grace of God. But that's not Paul's mindset. It shouldn't be your mindset either, right? It shouldn't be ours. Because realizing that you're not perfect is only half the story. The other half of the story is that you realize that you are called to be perfect in this age. Therefore, complacency is not an option. Floating is not an option. Sitting still is not an option. You have an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And yes, it may be a tall mountain. I've never climbed a mountain, right? So I've never reached a peak. I've climbed a few hills, okay? All right? But yeah, this, this, this upward call may be a mountain that you are climbing that you never reach the peak on. But God says, keep on climbing, child. Keep on climbing. Keep on climbing. Keep going. Keep on elevating. Keep pursuing. Keep growing to be more like Christ. Which brings me to the third and final truth from our text today. Is this. Your only option is to press on toward Christ's likeness. There's no other option, right? If you're going to be obedient to God... Your only option is to press on, to press on passionately, pursue the prize of being perfectly conformed to the perfect Savior. Paul says in verse 12, press on. He says in verse 13, strain forward. He says again in verse 14, I press on. Eastwood, that means you must put forth some effort, and sometimes it's going to be intense. It's going to be intense, just like the person in the gym that wants to get to where they can bench that 300 pounds, right? They may start off with 135 pounds, right? That's all they can do at the moment. I remember those days. But you work up and you press on. You keep working and building and adding weight and growing as you get closer and closer to the goal and working those muscles and becoming stronger and Weightlifting, we do all that. It's very similar to how we do it with the Lord. It takes discipline. Nobody said that Christ's likeness necessarily comes easy, right? Yes, you are infused with the righteousness of Christ. So you already have the righteousness in heaven, but on earth, you're not there yet. And so right now in that gap, we press on. Sometimes it's a battle. That's why Paul told us back in Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12, he said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. He uses this word, work. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As I said when I preached that passage a month or two ago, you are not working for your salvation, you're working out of your salvation. You're not working to be saved, you're working because you are saved. Nevertheless, church, you are called to work. <laughs> but it's a joy. It's a joy. It's that upward call of joy. Being more like Christ is a joy. So I call you, beloved, press on toward Christ's likeness. So how do we do that? Our text here gives us four actions to help us to press on, to think about. And the first one is probably the most important one. Is to remember whom you belong to. 
Remember whom you belong to. Look at, look at verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Man, isn't that a motivating thought? I press on to make perfection my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see, that's one of the reasons that Jesus Christ saved you and me. Right? That's why he took a hold of you and me, that you and I would get to experience the fullness, the joy of being like him. You are his. And if anybody knew what it was to be taken hold of by God, by Christ, it is the Apostle Paul. If you remember his conversion story, I mean, Paul was a hater of God, a hater of Christ anyway. He was a hater of Christ and he persecuted the church. In fact, the day that God grabbed hold of him, he was on his way on the Damascus Road. He was heading to Damascus to persecute Christians there, to arrest Christians, maybe even kill Christians there. But on the way, the resurrected and the ascended Jesus spoke to him from heaven, blinded him, knocked him to the ground, and grabbed hold of him. Acts 9, 4 through 6 tells us what this experience was like after falling on the ground. Uh, again, Paul, at this point, he went more by his Hebrew name, Saul, okay? So Saul, you'll, you'll see that name instead of Paul here. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice. That, that, that's, that's Paul here. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And so Jesus sent Paul to a man named Ananias. And here's what Jesus told Ananias in Acts 9, 15 and 16 to tell Paul. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. You see, church, God marvelously, God sovereignly took hold of Paul for his good purposes. And the same is true for every one of us who are in Jesus Christ. Now, your story may not be as dramatic as Paul's. Although every story is unique and dramatic in its own way, yours might not be as dramatic, right? It might not have been a blinding light and, and blinded you and got slapped to the ground, basically. But nevertheless, your story is Paul's story and that God took hold of you. He took possession of you and you gloriously and graciously belong to him. Yes, you wanted Jesus, but Jesus first wanted you. Therefore, live out the purpose for which Christ laid hold of you. And that purpose is that you would be like him, that you would grow to be like him. Remember whom you belong to. Second today, how do we press on? What helps us to press on? And it's this here we see from our text, is to refuse to let past victories or past failures stop you. You see, Paul says here in our text that there's one thing that he does. And what is that one thing? We'll look at verse 13. 
verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. And here's the one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You say, wasn't that two things? No, that, that, that's one thing, right? He is turning from what used to be his past and, 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 and boldly going after the future. You know, the past is very powerful if you give it power. It's very powerful if you give it power. In other words, your past both good and bad, can keep you from the future that God has in mind for you. You know, there are churches today that cannot go forward because they can't get past a past victory. They can't get past it, right? They remember those days when God moved and God blessed and God did something amazing and all they can think about 20 years later is how do we get back to what we had then? They can't look ahead because they're still turned around looking at what lies behind them. This was my experience at a church that I used to serve in in West Kentucky where I was the associate pastor doing youth ministry and student ministry. That church, I would sit around the table with the leaders at that church and they would often say to me, man, the 80s, the 1980s, those were the good old days. And this was the early 2000s, man. We were long past the 1980s. But in their minds, they could not see a future They could not press forward because they could not let go of the great victory that they had experienced themselves in the 1980s. So beloved, past victories are past victories. You must let what lies behind you go and strain forward. And it's not just churches. It's individual Christians too, right? Is there something in your past, a victory that you had, a a mountaintop experience that you had? That everything else, maybe, maybe you're here today and then there's a church that you used to be at and Eastwood just never seems to, to, to measure up to where you used to be. God has you here now and I pray that you would latch on and connect and grow into the future that God has you here experiencing, okay? Refuse to let past victories stop you from pressing on. But the same goes for your past failures, I don't know which one's more powerful, right? Your past victories or your past failures, but both of them will keep you from going forward, right? When you think about your past failures, look, I get it. You messed up, right? You failed miserably. You fell through, you, you fell off, you fell short. You felt the sting of your imperfection and your failure, and it's caused you to basically give up, maybe. Like the rider who fell off the horse and decided to never get back on one Again, you see, your past failure may be keeping you from pressing on. You're afraid to fail again. And you know what? You might, right? You probably will fail again. But know this also. Guys, you will never grow in Christ. You will never grow in Christ if you don't try to grow in Christ. Past failures no excuse, man. Refuse to let past failures stop you from pressing on third. Third is to remain focused on the goal and the prize. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at yourself. Look ahead at what you're doing and where you're going and what awaits you at the end. That's what you fix your eyes on, right? You remember the, the phrase, right? Fix your eyes on the prize. Well, that's where this comes from right here. Verse 14, where Paul says this. 
I press on toward the goal for the what, church? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, indeed, there is a great prize at the end, man. Heaven, joy, bliss, perfection, saved family and friends. But most of all, at the end, you get Jesus. At the end there, there's Jesus and the Father. They're waiting for you. So we need to fix our eyes on that goal, on that prize. In fact, that's what we're called to do in in, in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking where? Looking where? To whom? What's it say? Everybody say Jesus. That's what you're fixing your eyes on there. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And seated at the right hand of the throne of God. (laughs) You don't look at all this other stuff, man. All this other stuff holding you down and weighing you back. You throw it off and you keep running forward toward the goal and the prize. Just like when you taught your toddler to walk. You remember that? That toddler, you know, you, the mama would be on one end and she would set him up there and get him all wound up and ready to go. And he's got his legs all ready and he's ready to go. And daddy's at the other end. He's saying, come on, baby. Come on, run. Run to daddy. Run to daddy. And what does that baby do? He fixes his eyes on daddy with his arms out and runs forward as best as he can and falls into the arms of his daddy. You and I need to be like that toddler to our Father God and to our brother and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remain focused on the goal and the prize. And finally, finally this morning, when you think about that upward call, realize finally that pressing on is a mark of maturity. It's a mark of maturity. Paul says, verse 15 and 16 here, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see, church, it's the mature who realize that if there's no pain, there's no what? Gain, right? It takes work. It takes effort. It's the mature that know when the going gets tough, the tough what? Get going, okay? It's the mature who desire to grow and never stop growing. It's the mature who know that as far as they've come. And as I look around the room, man, I see many saints in the Lord who have grown tremendously, right? You have come a long way. But it's the mature who believe and understand they still have a long way to go. And that's the beauty of Christ, is that the closer you feel like you're getting to him, the further sometimes it feels like you have to go. Because you are not finished yet. Realize that pressing on is a mark of maturity. Don't ever be satisfied with where you are in Christ. Keep pressing forward because it's the child, it's the immature that gives up. When the going gets hard and it requires some effort, It's the mature that press on toward Christ-likeness. You know, I didn't get to finish my story at the beginning. 
I told you in the beginning that I wanted to be like Mike. And I don't know if you realize this or not about me. I didn't become like Mike. <laughs> I mean, I never dunked a basketball. I touched the rim a few times. I never made it to the NBA, although when I was growing up and 11 years old, that's what I was going to be when I grew up. I was going to be an NBA star. I've never even had a pair of Air Jordans. Well, I didn't have the money, or when I had the money, I had more sense than to spend $150 on a pair of tennis shoes, right? All right, just being real, just being real here, okay? Truth is, I've never been like Mike, and I never could be. It wasn't in my genetics. You've seen my mom and dad. <laughs> I mean, love them, but they ain't going to be 6'6", dunking basketball stuff coming out of here, okay? But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Although I can never be like Mike, <laughs> the good news is, is that I can and you can be like Christ. And one day... That will come to pass. One day, that will come to be. Yes, beloved, you're living in the gap right now between what you aspire to be and what you have been called to be and what you are. But one day, beloved, that gap, that gap is going to be closed. And what you have been called to be, you will be. Because ultimately, although I've called you today to work and to strive, as Paul here has, to press on to be more like Jesus Christ, the good news is, is that it all does not depend on you. Amen? But God working in you and through you. Because although it requires my effort, it's not completely up to me. You see, God has promised. God has promised to see you and me through until we are like Christ. In fact, it was in this very letter, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul spoke for God and said this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day or at the day of Christ Jesus. You know what that means? When Jesus returns... All the striving that you're doing to be like Christ will one day be brought into reality. And you will, beloved, be like Christ. But until then, here's my final prayer. May you never give up on growing to be like Christ. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. 
But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.